Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gen Z Frenzy, the podcast that ensures no one's voice gets lost in the frenzy of this chaotic world. In the glorious American dream, you can do anything as long as you're willing to put in the effort and work diligently to achieve it, or at least in theory, because in practice, that concept is often no more than a pipe dream, as factors beyond self-motivation influences our future. It is commonly accepted that academics is the key to raising yourself and, more importantly sometimes, your socioeconomic status. However, opportunities for a complete and adequate education varies depending on one's wealth and, sadly, race in some cases. Kids growing up in poverty or less privileged circumstances are often less likely to attend schools that have certain resources such as experienced teachers and proper libraries. Consequently, children from low-income families, according to the American Psychology Association, are 9% more likely to drop out from school. Without a degree, an expected requirement for most well-paying jobs now, they remain trapped in their financial plight. To break down this complicated but extremely prevalent issue, I had the honor of speaking to someone who has worked closely with the education system to discuss the impact and possible solutions of this achievement gap. so much for joining me today. Could you please start by introducing yourself? My name is Lucas Wollums. I was a CPS teacher for eight years. I taught on the west side of Chicago at the Air Force Academy High School, and then I taught at Collins High School, which is in North Lawndale, and then I became an academic director two years ago. Wow, that's very impressive. It seems like you've had a lot of experience across all different kinds of education systems. And I was wondering if you could talk about some differences between them and some defining characteristics. All of my teaching has been in a public school. Now, even though Air Force was a military academy, it was still a public school. So CPS actually has six military academies in it. So yeah, but other than that, I mean, in terms of what types of classrooms and schools I've been in, it's been all over the place. I've seen a lot of different things at CPS. Now, charters and private schools, I feel like I have less involvement, but I've had a lot of involvement with some charters and been around a lot of them to kind of see the way they work. You know, charters are one of those things that their initial intent, the reason why they were started was a good idea, but sometimes in the way that they're executed or the way that they're used, they don't always uh, yield the best results for students. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. Private schools that tend to engage a specific demographic or a type of student, right? A student who's got the money to be able to make it to a private school like that. Parents are usually involved for kids who are in private schools. So you really see a big difference in the types of students that you get in each of those places. Just because in Chicago, it works kind of like a trickle down. You get your high-end students who can really kind of push it out, go to a private school, and then you get your charter school students who are probably slated to go to a neighborhood school, but get an opportunity to go somewhere else. And that's a big deal for them. I see. So at least in Chicago, sadly, there seems to be this hierarchy in our education system. Anyway, I remember earlier you mentioned that you actually taught in a military academy before. 
Do you mind explaining what that is a little bit more? So all of our students were junior ROTC. They all wore uniforms every day. They had to stand at attention before classes. They had to stand at attention at the end of classes before they were dismissed. They had to do formation every day during lunch. So they would come in and stand in formation in the gym. Didn't guarantee that any of those kids were actually going into the military. In fact, I would say less than like 10% of our kids ever did, but it just created like a military atmosphere and allowed the kids to have a certain type of motivation from that. 50% of the kids who were really motivated and wanted to be there. And then you had about 50% of the kids whose parents thought that it was an actual military academy and that we would be mm -hmm. able to discipline, but it really wasn't the place for them. I think putting the military style into a public school was a really interesting experiment. I don't know how successful it was at Air Force, um, but like Phoenix Academy is another military academy and they've had a lot of success with it. So it's possible that there could be some successful ones here in there. Ah, I see. So now shifting the question to a more of a meteor one, I'm curious whether you believe there's a correlation between the type of school, charter, private, and public, whether there's a significant difference in that student's future job opportunities and chances of success, or at least the success defined by societal expectations. Okay, so first off, I think the thing about CPS is that it's really hard to talk about charter schools across the board. It's really hard to talk about private schools across the board. It's hard to talk about public schools across the board. When you look at mm -hmm. Chicago public schools, you're talking about 600 schools. You're talking about neighborhoods that span every demographic you can possibly imagine. And so it's really hard to say one thing is true for all of those. But mm -hmm. in general, when you look at the types of things that students in public schools learn, they're oftentimes held to a very specific kind of high stakes standard in terms of test scores, in terms of attendance, and a lot of those other things. We run into a situation where a lot of times in the public schools, you're only focused on making the data and making the numbers because that's the only way that your school can continue to get the funding that it gets. Charter schools aren't as tied to that because they get 25% of theirs comes in as public funding and then they can pull in another percentage from other places. So they get the opportunity to make up some of those. But the issue is, is that a lot of times with charter schools, they're run by organizations that run very much like businesses. And so their bottom line is not necessarily money, but making sure that those numbers stay as high as they possibly can so that they can justify the money that people are giving them to keep running it. And charter schools also have the luxury of if they have students who aren't meeting those requirements, they have the opportunity to send those kids back to public school. So then once you get up to selective enrollment in private, same thing happens. You see kids who uh, maybe aren't able to be motivated right off the bat, uh, and they fall out of those places pretty quickly. And in the public schools, you have to basically pick up all of those things. So any academic deficits that our kids have, as a high school teacher, I used to have to teach constantly reading standards and that type of thing to try and get my kids caught up because they were two to three grade levels, sometimes more behind in reading. Kids in charter schools and in private schools, they get the opportunity to focus really hard on content and really get to learn a lot of those kind of classics and that type of thing. And you don't see that as much in some of the public schools in certain places in Chicago because those students are working so hard to try and make up ground. So they don't get into a lot of those things. So a lot of our students who graduate may not have the exposure to a really high level texts and things like Shakespeare and philosophy and that type of thing. They probably haven't even seen them by the time they've made it out of our school. I feel like one thing that many of my peers, myself included, are often guilty of doing is taking our education for granted as we read these old pieces of literature, like 
as you mentioned, Shakespeare, we often question the relevance of it. And we are always asking our teachers, why are we reading this? We'll never use this in the future. But now that I think about it, there are probably some very influential lessons and ideas that are being taught to us that we don't realize are as impactful and that certain kids, as you said, in other public schools will never get the chance or the opportunity to be formally taught these things. And it makes me wonder what the long-term consequences of allowing this gap to perpetuate in the future if we don't do anything to at least attempt to solve it. I mean, you're talking about a huge part of the population. Chicago Public Schools has 375,000 kids in it. That's an enormous group of people. And you multiply that out through generations. You're talking about groups of kids who uh, have missed out on a lot of things and a lot of opportunities in terms of skill, in terms of being able to go into the job market and be successful. Northside Prep, Lane Tech, some of the big schools in Chicago that are selective enrollment are held to the exact same data standards that a school like Collins is held to. So Lane Tech has like between 3,000 and 4,000 students in it, but every single one of those students applied there, took a test to get in there and absolutely shows up there every day. Collins, on the other hand, we work really hard to recruit the kids that we get there from the neighborhood because there are other options in the neighborhood. You know, we work really hard to get kids in the door and then we fight constantly, not only to keep them there, but also to keep their attendance high and to keep their grades up and that type of thing, because there is not the type of support around them oftentimes or the support systems around them that can make them as successful. Their parents work really hard. Their parents might work two jobs and they work all day. You know, they're doing everything they can to try and provide for their kids, especially now in remote learning. You've seen this a lot more. You know, you've got multiple kids in the same house who are doing online learning. And that's crazy for some of these kids because they don't have anywhere quiet to do any of that. If you think about our students that graduate from Collins and the overall detriment to their life in general from us trying to have to fight as hard as we do for the things that they get, they get this look at life where people are telling them, you need to get a high school degree, you need to get a high school uh, diploma because you need to go out and get a job at the very least. And then we keep pushing college on them, pushing college on them, pushing college on them. And we never give them any of those things to necessarily be successful at holding down a job or that type of thing. And so you have this whole group of kids who were told their entire life that they needed to go get a high school diploma in order to be successful. Now they have a high school diploma and they're not going to be successful. This whole kind of American dream of the education system, not that it's an entire lie, but it definitely doesn't come true in practice. It definitely isn't consistent across the entire demographic and seems to be something only attainable by the selected. Furthermore, it seems like the abilities of an individual sometimes play less of importance than simply the resources provided to them. Definitely. Um... You know, you have these schools that are really struggling to make ends meet in terms of attendance and that kind of thing because of a lot of factors that are outside the school's control. But at the same time, they're still held accountable to those things, just like any other school in the district that's getting way more funding than they are. And just like the police department in this city, you see a lot of times the teachers that come to schools like the one that I work at now are very inexperienced. They're either brand new teachers or they're teachers who trickled out of another school who maybe weren't successful. It's really hard for us to find a really strong candidate pool to draw teachers from. And sometimes it doesn't even have to do with a difference in resource. It could just be a racial difference, believe it or not. I mean, 
you know, there are plenty of kids who went to Air Force that were poor white kids, but still had a heck of a lot better opportunity. And they had that privilege that allowed for them to be okay, even though they may not have had the absolute best kind of education underneath their belt. I agree completely. It gets discouraging learning just how prevalent systematic racism is in our country and how the challenges it had imposed on past generations continues to impact the future. Clearly, this is a very big deal and a huge problem we need to consider. So in your mind, are there any feasible solutions or course of action we should begin thinking of taking to solve this problem? Yeah, I think it depends on what school system you're talking about. Obviously, one of the biggest problems that Chicago suffers from is one, they don't have an elected school board, which is an enormous problem. You need those people in place making decisions for the school system that were put there by a vote by the population. But the other challenge to that is, though, if you think about the population, the span of the population that's represented in CPS, you still might not get what you want out of that, right? How could you possibly represent all of those demographics, all of those groups of kids? So there's a lot of challenges involved with that. I, I think that school systems like Chicago Public Schools and you know LA and a lot of other places, it's hard for them to do things effectively when they have that many schools under their belt. It almost makes more sense to break the schools up, at least into smaller areas so that the problems that each of those places are facing could at least face those things a little bit more effectively. Mm-hmm. Not every solution works for everyone. And since they're so different, are there any other significant impact these differences in communities have on the schools? Definitely. The other issue, especially specific to Illinois and Chicago, is that those schools are funded by property tax. And if you think about it, you've got an area of the city that doesn't have as much income and the properties aren't worth as much. So they're not bringing in as much in property tax. And so that school is inherently at a deficit. And as long as school funding is going to be based on per student, schools are going to continue to do the kind of stuff that my school has to do in order to get kids in the door. We share a building with a charter school and that charter school literally does everything all the way up to the line of basically calling themselves Collins and they poach kids from us all the time. And there are lots of schools that, that struggle with that kind of thing. And there's this constant fight for kids. You go to these recruiting events and it, it's like a college fair almost, and that's the only way they're able to survive. So if we don't get a certain number of kids next year, year, we won't have enough funding to keep the number of teachers that we have now. We'll have to cut some people. So it's been our top priority for the last few years to try and make those types of things happen. And that's another big challenge. It almost seems like CPS is being run like a business where the students are the products and whoever has the most or the best regarding the grading system of standardized tests is the most worthy employee to keep around. You know, having all of these schools measured by the same metrics, also not great. If you think about it, any other business where things are not working, you would triage, right? You'd, you'd put people into specific categories of where they were. You would give them the, the necessary resources that they needed in order to get there. And then you would help them out along the way. That seems to be the exact opposite of what uh, Chicago has done in many cases. You know, going from Air Force to Collins, even a lot of my colleagues, people that I'd worked with for a long time were like, you know, what are you doing? The goal in CPS is to go up, right? You work hard, you put in your time, and then you go get in a great school that holds on to you for a while. But my thought process was different than that. I thought I had a good understanding under my belt, the things that these schools needed. And so it was kind of my job to go in there and make sure that those things were being provided, or at the very least that I could help out in terms of making sure that we set up systems to get those things there. And yeah, you know, I, I think it's going to end up being 
if there's truthfully a solution to some of these things, it's, it's giving people more and more opportunities. And that's what I feel like my role is as an administrator in one of these areas is to create space for the people in those communities to take the power back and to make those decisions for themselves. Because mm -hmm. I always hear people ask the question, you know, like, why, why would people want to live in North Lawndale? Well, first off, North Lawndale is a great community. But secondly, people don't live in high crime areas because they want to. Right. If anyone were given the choice to either change their community and their neighborhood or even move out for that matter, they would do it if they had the resources and the means to do it. And so it's really important that people who have that privilege, who have that opportunity, are not flooding these communities to save them. We don't need any martyrs or any you know, white saviors in these areas. We need people who are creating space. In my school, I'm the only white person on my admin team. You know, and there are parts of me every once in a while that I'm like, hey, maybe I should be the last white person on this admin team, uh, you know, and just to allow them to move to a space where it's better for them. But at the same time, I understand that I can hire teachers that are great for that area. I can really have some say in those things and to create that space for people um, to be able to take back that control. Mm -hmm. I think it's really honorable that you're taking your experience from other places and using it to help other people in, in such a way. And really that's, I think that's really admirable. Thank you, I appreciate that. Honestly, teaching at CTD, one of the biggest things that it taught me was that that level of teaching was possible anywhere. You know, I mean, it's great teaching kids who come from all over the world and who are really interested in debate and that type of thing when they come to, to my class. But at the same time, every summer I would go and teach there and I would just keep asking myself, like, why don't I see this type of thing in my school? And so that's, that's really what kind of shifted my mindset. It was like, why can't I work at a public school in a neighborhood like North Lawndale and literally create one of the best schools in this city? Uh, the kids don't have to do anything extra to try and get into. Alrighty, that seems to be all the time we have left for today. Thank you so much for joining me today. Good deal. I find it so bizarre how over time so many institutions we consider sacred, like education, becomes another version of a business where we set a value to students and use that to calculate gain and loss, profit etc. It's almost dehumanizing to rate a child by these standards, but it does raise a new question. If we don't use these standardized tests, how are we to evaluate the success of a school? I'm sure that's something we'll all have to work towards in the future. For now, though, the education gap is truly an astronomical problem that we need to face head-on, because these kids are our future and our hope for a better world. Mr. Woolham said his colleagues questioned his decision to move down in the CPS hierarchy, but I don't think he moved down at all. I think he simply decided it was time to raise those students he knew had the same potential as any other one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode again, and I hope that you learned something new. As always, the resources used for the introduction of this episode will be in the description below. Have a great day, and remember to check out our episode next week.